you guys doing today? Yeah. Good. I'm doing well as well. Uh, thanks for coming to uh, Believer's Church. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the, the pastors or elders here at the church. Um, and uh, we are continuing our series through Jonah. Um, and so just kind of a recap of where we're at in Jonah. Uh, we see that God, uh, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, uh, calls Jonah. His prophet, uh, a man who speaks for God, who has been called by God, calls his prophet Jonah uh, to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. Uh, the city of Nineveh uh, is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the Assyrians at this time are basically the worst enemies of Israel. Uh, of course, Jonah is an Israelite, and Nineveh and the Assyrians are the worst enemies of the Israelites. Uh, there's been constant warfare between them. Uh, one side has tried to wipe out the other side. And so, um, you can think that God... Is it on? Okay, turn it on. I'm not recording. Is that better? I think you guys can probably hear me anyways, right? Yeah. Now, I have a boom. now I have a booming voice. <laughs> Should I start over? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, and so they're mortal enemies of each other, uh, the Israelites and the Ninevites. Um, and so God calls Jonah to go and preach uh, that the Ninevites need to repent and turn from their sin and follow God. And of course, Jonah doesn't want to, uh, and so he heads the opposite direction. Uh, he goes down to the port of Joppa, jumps on a ship to sail to Tarshish. Tarshish. Um, and so uh, Jonah's on the ship. Um, he is content to be running from God, uh, but God is not content that Jonah is running from him. Um, and so God sends a, a great storm, uh, and the sailors on the ship try to fight the storm. They're, they're throwing cargo overboard. Um, they're doing all these things to fight the storm, and they finally start praying to their gods. Uh, of course, they're, they're pagan sailors. They have many false gods. They start praying to their gods, uh, and they go wake up Jonah, who's in the bottom of the ship, um, and urge him to pray to his God as well, uh, that they might be saved. Um, the storm continues, uh, it does not relent, and so they end up casting lots. They basically uh, throw dice, and the lot falls on Jonah. And so they say, what have you done to bring this storm on us? Um, and he says, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, I worship the one true God. And basically, he had told them that he was running from God. Um, and so he says, it's my fault, cast me overboard. Uh, they say, no, we're going to fight it out. And so they try to fight the storm uh, to no avail, um, and they end up casting Jonah overboard. Um, while at the same time, uh, learning a lot about who God is um, and about who God is in, in relation to creation, uh, how he's not only creator, but he's the sustainer of creation, um, not a God who created the world and, and is like sitting back in his lazy boy, uh, just kind of watching things fall apart. Um, but a God who created the world and then is actively involved in every single aspect of the world. Um, and so the, the sailors saw this, um, and they were able to become worshipers of, of the one true God uh, because of Jonah's disobedience. Um, and so Jonah is, as we find him, uh, as we look at chapter 2, Jonah is drowning in the bottom of the ocean. Um, and, uh, and that's where we'll pick up in chapter 2. Uh, 
But uh, if we look at verse uh, 17, I kind of want to go over this real quick before we jump into chapter 2. Uh, verse 17 of chapter 1 says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Um, if you, this, this has been one of the more, uh, some people think it's a fable. Uh, some people think it couldn't have happened. Um, some people think uh, that there's no way that a man could get thrown overboard, get swallowed by a fish, live in the, in the fish for three days, and then the fish goes spin them out on dry land three days later. Um, you know, and there's probably not any way a man can do that. But people try to find scientific explanations. You know, well, this guy was swallowed by a, a whale, and, and, and 48 hours later he was still alive. They cut the well open, and, and they found this guy in there. And, um, but I think we miss the point if we focus on the fish in this story, um, and we focus on, on external things. Uh, because the point of the story is not whether you can believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish or not. You know, um, if you look at Matthew chapter 12, um, Matthew chapter 12, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus believed that Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish. You know, Jesus believes it. And I think uh, the problem is not necessarily if we believe that a fish could swallow Jonah, or if that's possible, but it's what do we believe about Jesus? Who do we say that Jesus is? You know, um, Jonah being swallowed by a fish was a miracle. It's not a natural occurrence. And so it's not, can it happen in everyday life? It's that we see that, that Jesus agrees with Jonah as he's writing the book, that it did happen as historical account. Um, and so we take Jonah as that. Um, and so as we look at this, um, you know, we look at the Old Testament uh, and in Luke twenty four twenty seven, after Jesus had died and he had risen, um, and he was uh, he was actually talking with his disciples. They did not know it was him at the time he was talking to them, but he was talking with his disciples after he had risen from the dead. Um, and it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so, as we look at Jonah. We're not necessarily looking at Jonah. We're not necessarily looking at the fish. We're looking for Jesus. Where is Jesus in this story? And as we see Jonah, we see a lot of things uh, parallel and pointing towards Jesus. You know, Jonah could have been rescued from the ship where God could have stopped Jonah before he got to the port of Joppa. I mean, there's a lot of different ways this story could have pointed out. Um, but Jonah being in the belly of a fish for three days is foreshadowing of Christ, who had come as a perfect Savior and spent three days in the heart of the earth and then raise again. Um, a prophet who is better than Jonah. A prophet who came as, as a perfect son of God, who came not only as a man, but as 100% God as well. And so we see uh, Jesus in this picture. And the point of looking at Jonah is to see Jesus. It's not necessarily to see Jonah 
or to see things we can fix in our own lives. It's to see Jesus. And then if you remember, Jesus was caught in a storm as well on a boat. And Jesus, just like Jonah, was asleep at the bottom of the ship. And the disciples came and they were frantic. Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you care? We're going we're gonna to die. The ship is going to break apart and we are going to die. And Jesus, the perfect man, not like Jonah, but the perfect man, comes and he calms the storm. Just like when Jonah hit the water, God, Jesus, calmed the storm at that time as well. And so as we look at Jonah, we see Jesus. Um, and so let's look at Jonah chapter 2. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, one of these black Bibles that's in your pew, it's on page 774. 774. And uh, if you would, just go ahead and read Jonah chapter 2, just to yourself. And then we'll get into the passage. So we see here in Jonah chapter 2 that God, of course, uh, Jonah was thrown in the water and Jonah is drowning. He is floating to the bottom of the sea. And uh, this account here, uh, it's it's sometimes called, it's it's referred or or compared a lot to David's Psalms. Uh, It's a song in a lot of ways. Um, And so uh, Jonah, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord. And so we see the past tense there, Jonah had prayed to the Lord. And so, while in the belly of the fish, Jonah is thinking back to while he was sinking and what his interaction with God was. And so, as we look at this passage, we see that Jonah is in absolute distress. Um, He is praying to God while he is seeing his life fade away. While he is sinking in the bottom of the sea um, with with the depths around him and his life is fading away, and he is in absolute distress. Um, and you see this, if you look in verse 2, he says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Sheol is, is a word um, used in the Old Testament for the grave or for death. Um, and so Jonah is saying, This is going to be my grave. Out of basically my grave I am, I am, I'm calling out. I'm at the bottom of the ocean. I'm, I'm about to die. And I'm calling out to God. I'm calling out to God. Who's interesting, God is just the person that he was running from so hard just earlier before. And now you see that events that God has brought into Jonah's life are beginning um, to bring him back to him. And so what you see here uh, is a beautiful thing um, that Jonah, who was running from God, is now running to God. Um, not in the physical sense anymore, as he's, as he's drowning in the ocean. Um, but God has got Jonah's attention, um, and Jonah is running to God. Um, and you see, uh, you see that in, in our life, um, uh, there's a lot of times where we are in complete distress. I mean, I, I've never been close to death like this, as Jonah has, you know. I mean, but 
can you imagine, you know, uh, in the times in your life where you're in the most complete distress? Like, Jonah was not in a good place with God. He was not. He was in absolute uh, disobedience to God before this. He was running from God. He wanted nothing to do with God. He was trying to get as far away from Him as possible. And so Jonah's not in a good place. But yet we see Jonah turns to God and he calls out to God. Um, when we're in distress, where do we turn to? You know, do we turn to the TV? Do we turn to the refrigerator? Do we turn to our Xbox or our PlayStation? You know, do we turn to friends? Uh, do we turn uh, to work? Do we just try to work a lot more? Um, so we're, we're busying ourselves to death. Um, so many people, when confronted with despair and with pain and with hardship in their life, run to so many things and they try to numb themselves, but they don't run to Christ. They don't run to Christ. And I think we can see a great lesson here in Jonah that Jonah ran to God. When he was in the most complete despair in his life, he turns and he runs to God. Um, and uh, as we think about Jonah, um, we need to realize that we are Jonah. Like when we, when we read the story of Jonah, we are Jonah. I am Jonah. I am a runner from God. I'm a person who sins. We are runners from God. We like to take control of our own lives. We like to do things our own way. We don't like God to control our lives. We don't like that authority in our lives. Um, and so as we read this and as we go through this, we are Jonah. We are sinful people. Um, we don't believe the gospel like we should. You know, Jonah's reason for running is that he thought he was better than the Ninevites. Jonah had a, a huge case of self-righteousness. He is an Israelite, had been called by God. He was a prophet. He spoke for God. You know, many, many, many times in the Old Testament, it talks about the people of Israel as a people for God's own possession, that he chose them out of all the peoples of the earth as a people for his own possession. And so Jonah was part of this. And Jonah, the only Old Testament prophet that is sent to preach to someone other than Israel. And so he has it pretty tough. Um, the other prophets are sent to their own people. In the Old Testament, all the other prophets were sent to preach to Israel against Israel's sin, which seemed logical to them. It did not seem logical for Jonah to go preach to Nineveh. Um, because in their mindset in that day, Christ did not come. Uh, God had chosen Israel, and Israel was it. They didn't care about the other people, really. Um, and so this was very difficult for Jonah um, to do. And so uh, Jonah hated the Ninevites, and he wanted them to be destroyed. Like that was his hope for the Ninevites, that they would be destroyed. And so Jonah uh, is suffering from a huge case um, of self-righteousness. And so God brings this storm into his life, and Jonah runs to him. Um, I think that if we look back in the passage in, in chapter 1, um, starting in verses 9 through 12, uh, I think that we can kind of see um, that God is maybe preparing Jonah's heart a little bit here. Uh, in verse, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, it says, 
And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. When the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Um, For anybody to want to be tossed from a boat into a stormy sea, uh, you know, something has to be happening in your life. Something has to kind of to start and be clicking. I think Jonah in this, in this portion starts to realize that he is in deep sin, that he has offended God, um, that he has done the exact opposite of what God has asked him to do, and he has deeply offended God. I mean, he knows that he deserves the punishment of God, and so he says, throw me into the sea. And so Jonah's heart is starting to be worked on, and as he's sinking, his heart is continuing to be worked on by God, and God is continuing to pursue Jonah um, through bringing this pain um, and suffering in his life. Um, and, and as we move down to verse 3, uh, Jonah says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. You know, later on, your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah was very aware, even though physically he asked the sailors to throw him in, um, he was very aware that it was God who was pursuing Jonah, that it was God who had tossed him into the sea that it was God who had brought the storm, that it was God who was bringing the waves, that it was God who was bringing the billows. Um, We talked last week a little bit about discipline, um, that the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastises those who are his children. Uh, And this is what we see in, in this passage as well, is God's discipline for Jonah. And it's not a discipline because God hates Jonah, God, you know, it's, it's a discipline because God loves Jonah. It's because God wants to pursue Jonah's heart. And as God's pursuing Jonah's heart, God has to get to Jonah's heart. And apparently, he wasn't getting to his heart by just speaking to him. Go to Nineveh, do this. Jonah was running and running and running. And so God had to bring extreme circumstances into Jonah's life. And Jonah's very aware of that. He's very aware is, is that God is bringing this into my life. And even though God is the one bringing this into my life, I know God is the one who will, who will rescue me from it. And so Jonah cries out to God in the midst of the struggle, even though he is very aware that God is in control of it all. Um, and so uh, Jonah's running, um, and God goes and gets him. Uh, you know, how many of us as parents would not run and get our child if they're in danger? You know, uh, my son can't run yet. He doesn't even... He just kind of sits there, and he's happy. Looks around, grabbing things. He's starting to roll a little bit. Um, but as, as parents, you know, out of love for our children, you know, we want to protect them. Um, and as our child is running into the street or running, you know, away from us, uh, we will pursue them, and we will overtake them, and we will bring them back into a place of safety. Um, and you can see God as a father here in Jonah's life, um, running after Jonah, and bringing him back into a place of safety. Um, and so uh, Jonah is in deep sin and rebellion against God, and God shows him grace by allowing him to rot in the belly of a fish for three days. Um, like, and Jonah is, is grateful for this. Like Jonah is grateful to be rotting in the belly of a fish for three days, um, which seems kind of odd, but... I guess it's better than like having the seaweed wrapped around your head and sinking down to the bottom of the sea. Uh, but I mean, can you can you imagine this? Um, 
don't know if you guys ever played like sardines or anything growing up or like hide and seek anywhere where like you go into a place and like you have to pack all these people like in this little place and if somebody finds you like they have to stay there but like it's usually you know and like all the lights are off or something and so everybody's packed into this small place and like you've been there five minutes and like your arms asleep and your legs are asleep and like you can't move and you're like sweating and and like that's five minutes and it seems like three hours you know that you've been there or if you're playing hide and seek or something and you're like usually like picked like the worst place to like you know go in like the smallest little area that you can and like squeeze yourself up you know but jonah is in this for 72 hours um and probably a much worse state than if you were playing sardines uh, but Jonah is in this state for 72 hours, and it's interesting that Jonah is not cursing God. He's not saying, why have you done this to me? Why have you swallowed me? Why am I in the stinking belly of a fish? But, but Jonah instead is praising God. He's reflecting on God's goodness while in the belly of the fish. Um, and it's not very good circumstances. But once again, we see that Jonah uh, has a good realization of who God is and what God is doing in his life, uh, what God is bringing on in his life. Um, you know, what a picture of the gospel, that we are drowning in complete, utter despair, um, unable to help ourselves. Jonah, unable to help himself. We, unable to help ourselves. And yet God, our creator and our redeemer, um, you know, comes and sets his grace on us. Uh, and that's a beautiful picture that we see in Jonah. That God, in his mercy, comes and sets his grace on Jonah. Even though Jonah was hard-pressed to get away from God. Um, uh, continuing in verses 4, uh, God, you know, he's talking about, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again on your holy temple. Um, Jonah never loses sight of hope in God. You know, uh, Jonah talks about uh, the temple here. You know, what is the temple? Uh, Jonah was written around um, roughly about 800 years before Christ, uh, you know, came um, to the earth. Uh, at this time, the temple was still standing in Jerusalem uh, that Solomon had built. And, uh, and so the temple is the place uh, to the Israelites where God was. It was a tangible thing that you could, this is where God is. And you would go to the temple, and you would offer sacrifices to God, and you would worship God, and the Holy of Holies was there, and God's presence dwelt there, uh, and the Ark of the Covenant was there, and God's presence was on that, to where even if someone touched it, they would die. Um, and so God's presence was so tangible in the temple. Um, and the law was in the temple. The law of Moses uh, would have been in the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and, and so you have all of these things uh, that point that Jonah is remembering, yet I will look again on your holy temple. You know, uh, Jonah has hope in God. He has hope in God that even though he is a runner, even though that he is a sinner, that God will pursue him, that God will rescue him. Because he's saying this, he's still drowning while he's saying this. This is a recounting. He's not in the belly of the fish right now praying these things. He's in the, he's in the water praying these things. You have driven me away from your sight, O oh God, but I will look again on your holy temple. Jonah knows that God is a gracious God, that he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's why he didn't want to go to the Ninevites in the first place. You know, because he knew 
that God is a God who is gracious. God is a God who is merciful. And Jonah knew this, and, and he sees this in his own life as well. Um, and so Jonah is looking again. Uh, he wants to look again on the temple of God. Uh, in verses 5 and 6, it says, The water closed upon me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars had closed on me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. And so Jonah has hit rock bottom. He's actually hit the bottom of the sea. Uh, his strength is gone. He has seaweed wrapped around his head. Um, he is in absolute despair. He is at the bottom. He can go no lower in his life. He is at the brink of death. And yet, he is praising God for salvation. Um, and now we can look at this maybe a couple ways. Some of us may say, why did God allow Jonah so much pain? Why didn't he just stop him before he went to Joppa? You know, why didn't he just, you know, do what he needed to do so he didn't cause Jonah all this pain? Jonah is drowning. Like, he thinks he's going to die. Like, this is probably one of the, this is the worst experience of Jonah's life. You know, Jonah is writing, this is an autobiography. Jonah wrote Jonah. And like, he's writing about the worst experience of his life. Like, this is the lowest point of Jonah's life, is what we know about Jonah. And so he's writing about the worst experiences of his life. And why does God allow us so much pain? Why, why didn't God just stop Jonah earlier? Why does God have to allow Jonah to go through this? Why does God have to allow me to go through this? I don't deserve to go through this. I don't deserve to go through that. Um, if you look at uh, C.S. Lewis um, in The Problem of Pain, he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. Um, Jonah apparently, if you look at the story, was not listening to God very well. He was not listening to God very well. And so God brought pain into his life to rouse his attention, to bring Jonah back to him, to start the work of redemption again in Jonah's heart, to start the work of repentance in Jonah's heart. And so he brings pain into his life to accomplish this. And God pursues Jonah in this way. You know, some of us hate pain. I, I, most of us probably hate pain. We're Americans. Why, you know, why wouldn't we? You know, uh, you know, most of Americans think that Jesus is here to provide us with the American dream. You know, which is, uh, you can fill that in the blanks, whatever your American dream may be. Uh, but that's not the case. You know, God is not here to provide us with the American dream. Not as God, you know, we are not Christians so that our lives can be comfortable. If you read the Bible, you will never see that. You will never see that. Uh, you will see a good God who is gracious and who bestows blessings on his people and who is gracious and sends rain on, on believers and non-believers. You know, common grace in the world, you will see that. Uh, but you will not see a God um, who exists for you uh, in the sense to, to so all your dreams and, and wants will become true. Um, and so uh, God uses pain uh, to bring Jonah back to him. Um, other people, you know, maybe on the other spectrum, you know, and they say, why did Jonah even get rescued in the first place? That guy was a bum, you know? That guy deserved to die. He deserved to drown. 
he clearly ran from God, you know, all the way to Joppa and then all the way on the sea. Like, he was hard-pressed to get away from God. I'm sure God could have found another prophet. Why didn't he just find somebody else to go to Nineveh? You know, why did he rescue Jonah? That bomb deserved to die. He deserved it. But that is exactly what Jonah sounded like, isn't he? I deserve grace. I deserve the mercy of God. I deserve relationship. The Ninevites do not deserve. They do not deserve to be forgiven by God. They do not deserve to be redeemed. They do not deserve to be preached to because God is good and he is gracious. And I do not want God to save them. I want God to destroy them. That's what Jonah's heart was like. That's where Jonah was at. And we are so, so bent towards this. Maybe not to the point where we hope people will die, but we're bent towards this. You know, if I'm driving and somebody just like flies by me, I'm like, ah, I hope they get pulled over and get a ticket. Like if I'm in a hurry and maybe I'm speeding a little bit, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm speeding because A, you know, this, and B, this, and C, this, and so, of course, I don't deserve to be pulled over. And if I do get pulled over, this guy, you know, he deserves to give me a break, you know, and not give me a ticket. You know, we're, we're very bent in towards pronouncing judgment to somebody else, but yet accepting grace in our own lives. We want grace in our own lives, but we, yet we want judgment for other people. And we want them to pay, but we want us to reap the benefits of somebody giving us a break or somebody offering us grace. Um, and so this is what Jonah's heart was like towards the Ninevites. He thought he deserved a break from God, but he did not think that the Ninevites deserved a break from God. Um, Many of us here in this room struggle with that concept of self-righteousness, especially if we have grown up in church all of our lives. You know, I grew up in church like every day of my life, I feel like. (laughs) You know, I mean, growing up, like we were there all the time. Um, And and you start to, uh, you know, the video kind of spoke to this a little bit. You start to, to think that you deserve things or you start to, and there's just this real mix of weird things that if we're not careful, and if we don't continue to look at the gospel, that we are sinners desperately in need of Christ. You know, and we start to think of ourselves as, as better than other people, as somewhat more deserving than other people. And we start to get caught up in looking at ourselves and, and get caught up in looking inwardly, and we're, and we're not missional. We're not, uh, you know, wanting other people to be redeemed. We're not wanting other people um, you know, to, to have grace offered in their lives as well. Um, and so uh, I think we, we fail desperately to see the gospel uh, when we have a mindset like this. Um, and uh, I think we need to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. Um, in his letter to Timothy, he says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul calls himself some versions say the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Or I'm the foremost of sinners. I'm the biggest sinner there ever was, basically Paul says. And he wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament that we read and quote and memorize and, and make you know, stickers and stuff out of. 
And yet he says, I'm the worst of sinners. He had, he had a, a very good grasp of the gospel. That A, I am not deserving of God's grace. I've offended God in my life. I've lived my life for me. and For my comfort and for my pleasure. And that's sin. And yet he realized the gospel that God sent his son who was fully God and fully man to come and live a perfect life because Paul knew he didn't live a perfect life. To, to die on a cross and to pay the penalty for sin because God hates sin. God hates sin and sin had to be punished. And if you're a believer, the punishment was poured out on Christ. It was absolutely poured out on Christ for our sakes. And Paul realized that. And I'm sure Paul, at some, at some point, probably struggled with self-righteousness too. You know, Paul was not a saint. You know, he was not a perfect person after he became a Christian. You know, I'm sure he still had a lot of issues that he was dealing with. As he continued to believe the gospel, though, and as he continued uh, to learn more about himself and see more of his sin... And, and see God and see more of God's holiness, he, he continued to grow. He continued to grow as he continued to preach the gospel to himself. Um, and, uh, and so we see this, uh, that we need God's grace just as much as anybody. Jonah needed God's grace just as much as the Ninevites needed God's grace. But he didn't think that. He thought he needed less of God's grace, and then the Ninevites would need more. He needed it just as much. And we needed it just as much as the worst person you can think of. It's the worst person. We need God's grace just as much as Hitler. We need God's grace just as much as Stalin. That is the depth of our sin and our depravity. And yet that is the depth of God's love and His grace towards us in our lives through the person of Christ. Um. And so Jonah is confronted with all of this um, as he's in uh, the belly of the fish. Um, and another thing, in, in verse 7 through 9, it says, My life was fainting away, and I remember the Lord, and my prayer came up to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, and so Jonah comes to the realization that salvation is from God alone. I was running from God and God saved me through letting me be swallowed by a fish. Because Jonah is saying this stuff and he is in the, you know, he is saying this stuff, he is recounting salvation is from the Lord because I was drowning, I was in this, this pit in the ground, I was going down to Sheol, I was going down to the grave, seaweed is wrapped around my head, God redeemed my situation and offered grace to me by, by allowing this fish to swallow me. And as he's in the fish, not knowing how long he will be in the fish, he says, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Um, and Jonah confronts uh, some of the idols in his life as well. Um, and uh, what, are, what are idols? Uh, you know, in Jonah's day, idols probably would have been little figurines. Um, People probably would have carved things, little statues out of stone or wood or ivory or some, you know, some metal 
or something. Um, and these were idols. You know, to us, uh, not too many people that we will come in contact with um, in America probably have a bunch of idols and figurines that they are actually praying and bowing down to and things like this. Um, but all of us have idols. Every single one of us has idols. Um, idols are things that we substitute for God in an attempt to find happiness, joy, and contentment in life apart from God. They're things that we substitute for God in an attempt to find happiness, joy, and contentment in life apart from God. Everyone has idols. Everyone has idols. And if you don't think that you have idols, you don't understand the gospel very much. Everyone has parts and pieces of us that we want to hold on to. Maybe not every single second or every minute or every hour of our life, but there are things in our lives that grab us and hold on to us, and we want to pursue them because we think they will make us happy. We want to pursue them because we will find contentment. We want to pursue them because they will give us happiness. And the things have nothing to do with God. And they're idols. And they're idols. Um, We have a lot of things uh, that we want to hold on to and that we do not want to give to God. You know, and all of us probably don't struggle with like 45 or 50 different things, but there's probably like the idols in your life, there's probably like two or three things that you continually just struggle with, that continually eat your lunch, that continually you have to, you have to God, I, I am a sinner and I want to get rid of this. And then a week later, God, I am a sinner and I want to get rid of this. And two weeks later, or the next day or, or whenever, these things keep, you keep getting attacked and attacked and attacked and attacked. And I think uh, our self-righteous side wants to look at Jonah and wants to say, well, we're a better person than Jonah. Jonah was a jerk. You know, Jonah was a self-righteous, uh, you know, he, he thought that he had all the rights to God and nobody else did, and I'm better than Jonah. You know, we want to say that. We want, we want to be better than Jonah. But we're not. We are Jonah. We are the runners. We are sinners. We are people who struggle with sin and need God's grace. We absolutely need God's grace. We are Jonah. Um, and so, uh, as we look on this, uh, Tim Keller, um, the pastor of Redeemer Church, uh, New York City says, I believe the reason that he did not have pity on them because he did not sufficiently realize that he was nothing but a sinner saved by sheer grace. So he ran away from God. And you know the rest of the story. He was cast into the deep and was saved by God from drowning by being swallowed by a great fish. And in the second chapter we see Jonah praying and his prayer ends with the, fate, with the phrase, salvation is from the Lord. Um, Keller used to say that one of his older teachers Ed Clown used to say that that verse was the central verse in the Bible. Salvation is from the Lord. Um, Because it is a beautiful expression of the gospel. That salvation is from the Lord and no one else. Salvation is not from self-righteousness. Salvation is not from attaining things and pleasing God through works. Salvation is not from doing A, B, C, and D. Salvation is not this and that. Salvation is of the Lord. It is from the Lord. That's a beautiful expression of the gospel. And he asks the question, he says, 
Didn't Jonah know that, that salvation was from the Lord? Wouldn't he have grasped that? I mean, he's a prophet, right? Like, his job is, like, to preach to people. Like, wouldn't he realize that? You know, that salvation is from the Lord? Um, And Tim Keller says he knows it, and yet he doesn't know it at all. Man, what an accurate description of me. What an accurate description of us. That we know that, but we don't know it at all. We know that salvation is from the Lord. We know that Christ has died and was risen on our behalf because we could not please God through our works. And yet we don't know it at all. Because in our daily lives, sometimes that's the farthest thing from what we're doing, is believing in those truths of the gospel. And we interact with people, and we, and we judge them, and we look down on them because we don't believe the gospel. And we do this or that, and we have this attitude of, oh, either, oh, I'm, such a, oh, I'm in such despair, and we have self-pity, or we say, oh, I'm better, you know, and we have too much self-worth. And there's not a good balance of salvation is from the Lord. And so uh, Martin Luther um, says this. He says, The purpose of ministry was not only to make the gospel clear, but to, to beat it into your people's heads and your own continually. You might be able to get an A on your justification by a faith test, but if there is not a radical and concrete growth and humble love towards everyone, even your enemies, you don't really know that you are a sinner saved by grace. And if there is not a radical, concrete growth and confidence and joy, even in difficulties, you don't really know that you are a sinner saved by grace. So what must you do if you lack the humility, love, joy, and confidence you need to face the life issues before you. You should not try to move on past the gospel to more advanced principles. Rather, you should shake yourself until more of the gospel corns drop and more of the fruit of the Spirit comes out. Until you do that, despite your sound doctrine, you'll be a selfish, sacred, scared, oversensitive, insensitive, anxious, and as undisciplined as everyone else. The Christian life is not moving past what Christ has done, but it's dwelling on what Christ has done. It's beating the, hot, the gospel into your head continually that I am a sinner saved by grace. I needed just as much grace as anyone else. And as we interact with people then, that is our attitude. We can get over our self-righteousness. We can get over... Uh, you know, the things that are, are causing roadblocks in our lives. Um, and so the gospel is not uh, only at conversion. You didn't just get the gospel by praying a prayer. You didn't just get the gospel by doing this or that. But the gospel is the way that we continue to learn uh, more about God and continue to grow as Christians. Uh, we call that sanctification. We continue on the trail to become more like Christ and less like our old selves, less like the flesh that continues to war in our bodies. And we continue uh, to fight to understand the gospel. In 1 Peter, it says the gospel is something that angels long to look into. That angels who live like in heaven, they, they like long to look into the gospel because they don't understand that a, a God 
who is as mighty and glorious and holy as he is, would send himself as a person to live on this earth and to redeem people who are his enemies. They said they long to look into it. We should long to look into more of the gospel. We should long to beat it into our heads continually because we will continue to, to, to learn more about who Jesus is and more about who we are. And we'll continue to learn um, so we can love people and so we can love God um, and so we can actually look like Christians in the world instead of people who are self-righteous and people who think we have it all together and people who, you know, you fill in the blanks. Um, and so we are Jonah. We're runners. We are deep in sin. We love things more than we love God. But this is where the beauty of the cross comes in. In Romans chapter 7, uh, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, because God has redeemed him from the body of death and will continue um, to redeem him from his body of death. Um, and so verse 10 Jonah spoke, I'm sorry, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. And we see that God is gracious, he is merciful, he is slow to anger. Um, He is not a God who is out to catch us, you know, when we're messing up and pounce on us and punish us. But he is a God who who is gracious and he is a God who is compassionate and he is a God who will pursue and overtake his children and set grace in their lives through events. He's not one to just let them run wild. You know, we looked in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 last week. You know, he doesn't treat us like we're not our sons, like we're illegitimate children. He treats us as sons and daughters, and he pursues us, and he comes after us, just like he came after Jonah. And even though Jonah was a sinner, and we see Jonah's sin in the book, and we see Jonah as a runner, we see Jonah repent. We see Jonah turn back to God in this chapter. But then you'll see in the next couple of chapters that Jonah has basically a relapse, that Jonah continues to sin. And then we're like, ah, Jonah, he didn't really repent. You know, he's just that jerk of a prophet who hated the Ninevites. You know? Uh, but once again, that's us being self righteous. Because we are Jonah. We are people who are sinners. We need repentance. But that's not the last time we're going to sin. And that's not the last time we're going to put ourselves before God. It's not the last time uh, that we're going to try to sit on the throne. And and so we are Jonah. We are runners. Uh, We are sinners. uh, But yet God is gracious and pursues us. Um, And so what we see in Jonah is a beautiful picture of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus in Jonah. Uh, that we are sinful and we need a Savior so that Jesus came down to the earth to live the life that we couldn't and died the death that we deserve so we might have life. And that is what we are celebrating today. We're celebrating what Jesus has done. That is why we gather. That is why we sing. That is why we take communion. That is why we study the Word so that we may see Jesus and we may celebrate what He has done on our behalf because we are unable to. And so we celebrate the one who has created and redeemed us.